1: On this episode, an energy healer recounts her harrowing car accident and remarkable near-death and out-of-body experience.
2: This police officer comes in, and the very first thing he said to me was, You're one lucky little lady. And he said, We're trying to find out what actually happened. And I said to him, Why don't you ask Mim, who was my college sweetmate?" mate, why don't you ask her because she saw the whole thing. And there, and he kind of looked at me and I said, and there was another lady and she put her phone number on the front seat of the car. And I said, there was a guy in a uniform and he reached in to turn the car off. And then I can't remember anything after that. And then I looked at him and went, wait a minute, you're the guy who turned the car off. And now he's like freaking out and he's just standing there like sweating. And he said, there is absolutely no way that you could know that. He said, you were
1: gone. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Welcome to your Monday. Dr. Mary Helen Hensley was involved in a car accident that was to change her life forever. With vivid clarity, she's able to recount all that took place during her near-death experience, along with a reconnecting to her life's purpose, to healing. Mary Helen has facilitated the healing process for countless individuals and is one of Ireland and Europe's most sought-after metaphysical healers. With a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and Graphic Design, Mary Helen went on to receive a doctorate of chiropractic in America and practiced in Ireland from 1991 until 2012. Following her near-death experience in 1991, Mary Helen began to realize that her previous skills of communicating with those in spirit had become so much more. A series of incredible, serendipitous events led her to develop her newfound ability to facilitate the healing process. She's the author of Understanding is the New Healing, Bringing Death to Life, and The Promised Trilogy, Promised by Heaven. Dr. Mary Helen Hensley, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: I'm great, thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: My pleasure. Take me back to 1991 and your car crash. What happened?
2: Ooh. Okay, jumping straight in. Yeah, I was. um, it was December 14th, 1991, and I just graduated from college that previous May and had moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I was working in a sign company, mopping floors with my big college degrees, and um, I was on my way to the company Christmas party, and I came to an intersection at Highway 17, um, which is quite a large highway, and I needed to go across the traffic and turn left to go into town. And so I'd been waiting at the traffic light. And when my light finally turned green, I made it across all the lanes except for the last one. And I looked left and there was a car that the police estimate was going at 75 miles an hour coming towards me. And that was when my entire life changed. So the proverbial crossroads of my life.
1: Just describe what happened to you after the impact and and what you remember.
2: It's actually what, what happened before the impact that is so fascinating because when I turned and I saw the car coming at me, everything just slowed down and it sounds so cliche every time I say it, and, um, but it did, time just ground to a halt and I was suddenly very aware um, that I had the choice to stay inside of my body and experience the impact if there was something I needed from that or I could exit. And what was so strange was that, you know, this 21-year-old preacher's daughter from the South was suddenly acutely aware that I had been there and done that before. And so I'm suddenly aware that this isn't the only time I've died and that I didn't need to stay in the body to actually experience the impact because 75 miles an hour, that was going to hurt. And um, next thing I know, there was a sound, there was a drone, a, a low vibration, And when that sound set in, I was instantly out and above my body. And as soon as I was aware that that had happened, everything sped back up again. And I actually watched my own accident take place. So I saw the car speed back up. It smashed into my car, um, into the driver's side. It T-boned the car, folded the car in half. My head went through the driver's side window, broke my neck, um, And I was just watching and seeing the car spin around and, of course, watched it come to a halt. All the traffic stopped and I was able to kind of see from a bird's eye view what everybody was doing. And um, it's really important right there because people ask, you know, were you not trying to get back into your body right then? And you were terrified because now you've suddenly died and it wasn't like that at all. It was really kind of a peculiar um, detached interest I had in the whole thing where I was more observing um, than having any kind of emotional reaction to it myself. What was very interesting though was that Charleston's quite a big city and that was back in 91. So it was about 350,000 at that stage and sitting two cars behind me at that same traffic light was a girl that had been my sweet mate in college the four years earlier and um, I got to watch as she recognized that that was me in that car and it was so fascinating because I could feel her anxiety I could feel her terror as she as she realized that that was my car and that that was me in it Um, but I wasn't feeling those feelings for myself and um, I have always likened it when people ask what is that like you know if, you, if you're outside and it's a really hot day and you've been out working outside and then you come in the back door and you peel your clothes off and you throw them down by the washing machine and you're all sticky and gross and you go get in the shower and you have this fabulous shower and you're washing all the muck and the grime off, the last thing that you're thinking about is the dirty clothes sitting next to the washing machine. And that's exactly what it was like coming out of a body.
1: Interesting. And, and so you watched her, your sweet mate… <laughs> get out of her car and run up to the crash site?
2: Yep, I did. And I watched other people gathering and there was this lady um, who had written her phone number down. All the windows had blown out of the car and she'd written her phone number down, which I always thought to this day is so strange. And she reached in. So imagine there's like a dead body in the car <laughs> and she reaches in through the blown out driver or passenger side window and leaves her name and phone number on the seat and then runs off.
1: How strange. And
2: so, I know, isn't that bizarre? Um, So like she either had somewhere she had to be and, you know, had witnessed the accident and wanted to leave her name and number. I always thought that was so strange. But then there was a guy who came over and he was um, in a uniform and he reached in and turned the keys off through the window of the passenger side. And um, as people were gathering and, and kind of looking around, all of a sudden that sound that I had heard, the low drone became this beautiful um I always call it music of the spheres this beautiful symphony of sounds and suddenly I wasn't there anymore so it was you know this is I think where a lot of people experience the tunnel experience and all mine was instantaneous I was there observing the accident in one breath and then in the next I was somewhere else
1: where was that somewhere else
2: well I guess kind of like Grand Central Station because you know <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's modern religions, man-made religions, that create, you know, a, a final destination after the death process, and we get kind of caught up in the idea that okay, you die and then you go somewhere, your big reward, or or, or you're or you're burning, um, you no, know, but that you land in that final place that you're going, and it wasn't like that at all. And especially for me, you know, having grown up in in Virginia, in the Bible Belt, with a father as a minister. Everything that I had been told would happen didn't happen. It was actually quite, quite the opposite. So this was really eye-opening for me. And it was, a, it was a lot of, oh, yeah, aha, oh, my gosh, I remember this, oh, yeah. Um, and it was amazing because the space that I landed in, I was still aware. Of course, I had no physical body, but I was, I was still cohesive. I was still aware of being the form of something, Um, And what I had in that moment was I still had all my memories intact. So I knew exactly who I'd just been, what had happened. Um, But now all of a sudden, I've got all these new memories just immediately coming in. And I had realized that, that this was one of many lifetimes I had lived, which, of course, you know, didn't learn that one in Sunday school. So what's unfolding in this space is this is what really validated it for me in in that time because it was so not like what I would expect. You know, my brain didn't conjure the images of Jesus or this or that. Um, It was a very different experience. The the atmosphere in this space was palpable. Like it was malleable. You could touch it. Um, And, and at the same time I was part of it. And so it was the most, it was a glorious feeling. It was absolutely incredible just to just sit in this space. And it was like, it was like that shower where you're washing off all the muck and grime. It's you are sitting in this space, and your every essence of of what you are now becomes part of that space. And with that comes a memory, a remembrance. A, you know that lifting of the veil, um, as people would say. Um, and it was just it was wonderful.
1: Did you see so, anyone? Did you hear anything aside I did. from so, yeah?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely, because those sounds were still playing. Um, those, that, that frequency of sound and light, um, it was the most beautiful light, and the colors were absolutely just mesmerizing because they weren't colors that I could give you anything to liken to here because I've never seen them here. Um, after a period of time, which I don't know how long that was, um, the atmosphere in front in front of me kind of began to take shape, and two beings – formed out of that. And what was really interesting was I was quite aware at the time that they probably took on the form that they did for my benefit. Um, because, you know, there you are freshly dead. It's a little freaky. Um, and these, these beings stepped forward and took on the appearance of very old men. And for me as a child, um, you know, a lot of other kids would be off playing with their friends and all. I always loved old people. I had, a I mean, a real affinity. I'd rather spend my time in a nursing home than on a playground. I was just that kid. I loved old people. And so, you know, looking back, it doesn't, it's its not that surprising that they would take on the form of something that I held so dear. And I really think, you know, the, the shock of having just left an earthly existence and landing in this space. I think they took those forms on in order to to make it easier for me. And so they were beautiful. And the closest I've ever come to describing any color was when they came out of that atmosphere, they were dressed. And what they were wearing was like this rich caramel color, but it had like this pearly sheen to it. And that's the very closest I can get to describing the colors that were there, they were just magnificent. And so they, they were there and they were so wonderful and so comforting looking. And yet I looked at them and I couldn't remember who they were. (laughs) And I had this real sense of, I'm supposed to know who you are. And I couldn't remember who they were. And they just waited very patiently. And then all of a sudden it hit me. And I realized that these were my guardians, my guides, like this was real. They were my cheerleaders. They'd been with me since the dawn of time. And Again, this is not a concept that I had been taught growing up whatsoever. And it was so joyous and such a relief um, because suddenly you realize that at no stage have you ever been alone, even when you think you're so alone that you've got somebody there who is gently tapping you along the way and whispering into your ear and helping you to accomplish what it is that you come here to accomplish. Um, And that was what they did with me. And it was just the most incredible homecoming Um, when I finally realized who they were
1: and and what did they tell you?
2: So they didn't speak. Um, like there was no mouth movement. It was, you know, when we talk about that kind of telepathic exchange, all of a sudden I became very smart in a skinny minute. Um, because it's like my head started filling with all this information and all of a sudden my questions, everything I'd ever wondered was, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, 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 that's right. Yes. Oh, Oh. And it was they who were, giving this back to me um, and when that had finished I went into you know what we would term a life review which is just seems so mundane when I hear it come out of my mouth because it was not like that it was this spectacular event where it was as if I was in the middle of a cinema that was 360 I could see everything around me and this was where, you want to talk about the the actual mind-blowing experience, this was it. Because it was then when I understood, and I can't unremember now, that time happens concurrently, it's simultaneous. So I am in the middle of this, and I am watching like a movie reel all the way around me, where I'm three years old, and I'm five years old getting lost at the beach and I'm 17 years old and being raped and I'm 12 years old winning living history day in junior high school and this is all happening at the same time and this is where my understanding of how time works and how linear time and time marching forward in an earth construct is here so that we just don't lose our minds you know because we only have five senses with which to digest this idea of concurrent time and so it was, it was just incredible because you get to go, oh my gosh, that's how. That's how. We're all fractals of the same whole. Oh gosh, I get it. I'm actually here experiencing myself through eight billion different pairs of eyes. And it's all happening simultaneously. And I am everyone and nothing all at the same time. And it was absolutely incredible.
1: And uh, at, at a certain point, were you told it's not your time, you have to go back to your body, or what happened then?
2: No, this is what's really interesting, because that that kind of denotes a hierarchy and someone else making a decision for me. And it was at this moment, you know, imagine again, preacher's kid, I'm looking around going, where's the judge? I've been told all my life that somebody is going to be sitting here judging, do I go up or do I go down? And I'm like looking around, and the only one who is interested in this performance of my life as Mary Helen for 21 years is me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been the one creating my circumstances all along. And so, yes, in that moment, they, you know, they were agreeing with what I had already decided. And I had remembered that I had I had chosen to be there and that I needed to be in this space because up until that point, you know, I was living a fairly decent life. But I had some pretty unusual and unique gifts in my life that I wasn't using using in any service to humanity, um, and so I realized that I had placed this in my path in order to remind myself if I hadn't made it to adulthood without realizing it while in the body, and so I was going back, and it was they then who told me that now that I was choosing to go back, that they'd be kind of raising the bar; they would be sending me back with a connection to gifts and abilities that I hadn't had before. So I was like, all right, send me in coach. And next thing, you know, whoosh, I'm back and I'm in a heap and broken on the pavement.
1: And what were the extent of your injuries?
2: Well, I broke my neck. I lost my hearing in my left ear, detached retina in the, in the Left eye, kind of my entire body shape changed. My spine now looked like a backwards C. Um, I was told I'd never have children. I have two, by the way. Um, you know, crushed my pelvis. Uh, I just a host of a host of really nasty injuries. Um, <clears throat> so for a twenty-one-year-old to go back in with that, um, you know, when you're out of body and you're feeling omnipotent and divine and eternal, and you're remembering all of that, You know how quickly you forget that you got to get stuffed back into the meat suit. Um, and it was like putting on wet jeans, um, you know, or like jumping into a swimming pool fully clothed. Um, that's what it felt like going back in. So, you know, it was a bit rough uh, to start out as I had to learn to deal with each of these injuries but it was each of these injuries that led me to the next stop and the next stop and you know it's because of that that I became a doctor and it was because of because of that that I had an understanding of how the body actually works and so what I came back with was this knowing that the body is here to serve the spirit as opposed to the other way around
1: when you when you came to was it in the hospital or was it at the scene
2: no, would you believe I actually came to on the pavement and I even tried to move to get up. I remember moving to get up and going, you know, like wriggling away because they were putting me on that board where they put the, the you know, the big foam collar around the neck. Yes. Um, and then I was out again. And then I w- remember waking up again in the ambulance and there was this lady in the ambulance um, who was very motherly and she was stroking my hair. And I looked up at her and she's like it's okay, sweetie, we're not going to let you die. And all of a sudden I was so triggered and I went, I've already been dead. I've already, you know, and I was screaming, freaking out and then bang, I was out again. And then I woke up in the ER and, um, the ER was really interesting because at that stage, I don't know, you know, I have no idea. I just think I can't swallow properly. I don't know. My my neck is broken. Um, and this police officer comes in who I couldn't really tell at first who he was. And, um, he starts asking me these questions. And the very first thing he said to me was "You're one lucky little lady and I'll never forget it. And I looked at him and, and I said, you know, who are you? And he said, I'm just here to, are you okay to try and answer a few questions? We need, we're trying to find out what actually happened. And so I started to try to pull myself up in the bed and that's when I realized I was messed up. Um, I felt like I'd just been trampled. um, and nothing felt like it belonged to me. And he started, um, he said, well, what actually happened? And I said to him, why don't you ask Mim, who was my college sweetmate? mate, why don't you ask her? Because she saw the whole thing. And, there, and he kind of looked at me. And I said, and there was another lady. And she put her phone number on the front seat of the car. And I said, there was a guy in a uniform. And he reached in to turn the car off. And then I can't remember anything after that. And then I looked at him and went, wait a minute. You're the guy who turned the car off. And now he's like freaking out. And he's just standing there like sweating. And he said, there is absolutely no way that you could know that. He said, you were gone when we had the jaws of life and got you out of the car. And so, you know, at that stage, you know, many years, 30 years later, I've always gone back and gone, okay, was you know was my near death experience a, a fanciful uh, expression of a head injury? Well, yeah, that would be easy. Only I was able to describe everything that happened,
0: right,
1: at you,
2: the accident.
1: You you were able to confirm that your your roommate was several cars behind.
2: Exactly, and he's like, "There's no way you could know that." And he's the, he's like, "I'm the one who pulled your body out of the car."
1: That's remarkable. He's, were you clinically dead? Actually, were they able to determine? Yeah, that? there's.
2: I mean, At this stage, you know, it's, um, all we know is that I was, I mean, gone and I had that whole, that whole experience. And then by the time they got me revived on the pavement, I don't, you know, like how long does it take for an ambulance to arrive? So, you know, like I was out gone for 15 minutes earth time, at least, um, you know, and it was, uh, he was just like, you were dead and there's no way. So, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, And it's really funny because now, you know, many years later and having worked with so many different people who have who've had many varieties of near death experiences, you know, that's really the interesting part, because there have been people who've been dead 30 seconds and have had these extraordinary experiences because the time factor completely ceases to exist. And, you know, for anybody who's listening, I always like to throw this in because I think it's so important because there's all of us have lost somebody that that's near and dear to us and some through natural means, you know, as we call it, um, you know, where they've died of old age or there have been others who had a, you know, a stroke or heart attack. There've been people who've lost someone to, you know, absolute acts of malice, like, you know, being shot or murdered or those who, um, those who choose to take their own lives and there's a hanging or, you know, they've shot, they've shot themselves. And it's at this stage that it's really important that from the amount of people. And at this stage, it's been thousands of people I've had the opportunity to speak with and share with, um, that, that time slowing down situation happens with everybody. And having been present at so many deaths myself now, um, uh, I can verify that that happens for everybody. And so death isn't the way that we think it is. You know, we think of, Oh my God, she was alone and struggling and that man raped her and then killed her and she's dead. And what, what people don't realize is that time literally stops, and the soul that's occupying the body has the opportunity to exit the body. And so the soul is very aware in that moment that that's happening to the body and not to who they really are. And so our perception of what's actually taking place be it, you know, that someone's suffering and they're dying in such a horrible, horrific way that's not what's actually playing out. Um, and it's really important, I think, for people to realize that because there have been many people who've sat with a loved one and, you know, just cringed as they went through their death rattles or um, had to think of, of losing a child in a car crash or had to think about, you know, someone murdering um, a loved one. And it's just not the way that we think it is. Um, d- the process of death is actually quite fascinating, um, it's very beautiful. Um, the tragic circumstances that are surrounding a death is not something that the soul is carrying with them. It's out, and it's able to interact with the death process in whatever way it sees fit. And I think that's just incredible.
1: More of my conversation with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. C60 Evo's Miracle Molecule ESS60 makes a great gift for your friends, family, and their pets. Why not give the gift of radiant health to everyone on your list? ESS60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of C60. Take ESS60 for increased strength, flexibility, immunity, and better sleep. You know, the mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking it for a year now. A tablespoon full every morning, and we've never felt better. Never slept better. No aches, no pains. We're mentally focused and sharp. Is it any wonder? This antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and super antioxidant is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. You heard me right. 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. To order your bottle of ESS60 from C60 Evo, go to the episode notes for this podcast or click on the banner ad for C60 Evo at the bottom of my website, strangeplanet.ca. And now, until the end of the year, you can take 15% off your order with the coupon code Jolly15RS, Jolly15RS, that's Jolly15RS. The coupon's not valid for cases or subscriptions and cannot be used with any other coupon code. Valid through December 31st, 2020. Again, to order your miracle molecule in a bottle, go to the episode notes for this podcast or go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, scroll down to the bottom and click on the C60 Evo banner. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, treat, or diagnose. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider.
0: If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited. <laughs> with Richard Serrett.
1: Healer, author, near death, and out of body experiencer, Dr. Mary Helen Hensley is here, and we've been discussing her 1991 car crash and the remarkable story of what transpired after the crash. You had previous uh, gifts, though, prior to this accident, communicating with departed spirits and so forth. When did that start?
2: Um, in the womb. <laughs> So um, my mother was when she was pregnant with me, she was in her 40s and um, she contracted German measles. And so um, my father and mother were called in with the doctor and they said, look, um, you need to just go ahead and start getting your idea around. Because remember, this is in the 60s. You need to get your head around the idea that this child isn't going to be okay, and you need to start making peace with that. And because you have German measles and that never fares well for the child. And so what was really interesting was that during my mother's pregnancy, after they had gotten that news, my father had what he called a celestial visit. And this is really interesting terminology coming from a preacher, because you would think it would be angelic or the Holy Spirit or this. And he said all he could say was that they were celestial beings. And so, you know, chances are they were probably his own guides appearing to him. But he was very clear about the fact that, you know, that these beings were not an- angels, they did not have wings, it wasn't the typical kind of th- that churchy scenario of, of what you would expect, and it changed his life, it blew his mind, and so my very first book is called Promised, um, because that's what my father always called me, because these beings came in and they said, not only is your daughter going to be okay, but she's going to come in and she's going to have some very unique gifts um, uh, throughout her life. And so sure enough, I'm born and there's nothing wrong with me, um, medically. And, um, my father would always say, you know, if I got, if the going got tough or if he was having to reprimand me or something had happened at school, he would always start everything with your promised. And that's where that came from because he had this visit that literally changed his perception, you know, and it was, that's a lot for, for someone who was, living within the box of an organized religion to to swallow um so as i got older they were always watching and it was when i was about 4 or 5 years old that the kitchen table conversation happened and i was called into the kitchen and my father who was not only a minister he was also an american football coach um a huge big strapping guy Um, and he had this big booming voice and he sat me down at the table and, you know, my mother was kind of nervously pottering, um, in the kitchen and he said, sugar, do you know the difference between alive and dead? And I said, I'm four. And I'm like, um, I guess. And what had been happening was I was coming to my parents and I was telling them all these great things that my grandfather had. Um, Dr. Garland Clark, who'd been a surgeon in Kentucky. He was my very best friend. And he would tell me all these things. And he spent so much time with me. And he was very diligent about prepping me about service and what it meant to serve, you know, and what it meant to be here and to have the kind of gifts that we had. Um, And so they finally had to sit me down and say, you know, listen, all these details, all these things that you're talking about with your grandfather, you know, they knew them to be true, but there's no way I could have known them because he had died when I was one. And so I guess it was, that was when it started early on. And then it was, you know, from then forward, I always had, I could dream things and I would know who was going to die before they died. And, um, but that was kind of, that was it. It was knowing things before they happened and being able to have that ongoing communication with my grandfather in particular.
1: And did, Um, did, did, Your grandfather, Dr. Garland Clark, did he, how did he appear to you? Like, was it a full on apparition? Did you you just assume that he was alive and in your life?
2: Yeah, I didn't. But I, I thought that there were many varieties of what reality looks like, you know, because like nowadays, look, you know, if I'm speaking to someone on a Zoom call, I'm looking at them in real time. And I can see their face and I see them talking to me. And I know that they're on the other end of that camera is an actual physical body. But the way that they're speaking to me there is a very realistic and very present time projection. And so I think at such an early age, I just didn't know the difference. I thought there were many ways to manifest oneself, you know, Um, and so it wasn't until they pointed out to me that he wasn't. Wearing a body, that I began to go. Oh, hang on a second. Well, then what about that one over there and that one over there? um So yeah, it was it was quite an interesting way to get dropped into the realization of of how things work between, um inter, you know between the planes and interdimensionally. Because I think there are many ways to to view one another, to, to see each other. And I know I realize now as an adult that some people see energy and auric fields around people. And I did all of my life and that other people don't see that.
1: How Um, how did, what, what (laughs) sorts of things did you know about your, your grandfather that you shouldn't have known?
2: Oh gosh, names, things I would, you know, I would start calling my mother the name that he would call her. Um, and there was no way that I would have known that, or I would talk about people that would have been dear to my grandparents that I, I wouldn't have met because they would have been dead already. Um, you know, that kind of thing, just things that would validate to my parents that I'd indeed been speaking to him. And there's no way that I could know that otherwise. Um, and it was really interesting because I, from the time I was very small, you know, other kids would ask for a doll or a you know stuffed animal for birthday. And I wanted a doctor's kit. And so I carried around this little plastic black doctor's bag from the time I was very small and I was forever performing operations on my father with these little, you know, with a butter knife, with a, you know, a plastic stethoscope, And like, it was just really interesting that I kind of had a a good feel of an interest in the body already.
1: Right. And who else was coming through besides your grandfather?
2: Um, He would introduce me to other beings, not nobody that I would particularly call by name. Um, so it would be I would I would see those who were elsewhere. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, again, when you're coming from that concept of heaven being a final destination, these weren't people that were or beings that were in heaven. They were somewhere else doing their thing and they were very busy. And so that was an interesting thing because this idea of heaven being that final destination and you've got your reward and you're on your cloud playing your harp. Um, From an early age, I think, um, I wasn't really sure what that meant because I was hearing and learning one thing in church, yet experiencing something completely different when I would spend time with my grandfather.
1: And... What happened to these abilities after the accident?
2: Oh, gosh, tenfold, thousandfold. Um, well, like I said beforehand, um, you know, I joke always because, as you can imagine, you're a teenager. And one of the things my parents said, we don't talk about this with other people. We want to eat. And I think my father was very concerned about um how other people would accept that, how they would treat me. Um, and so it was something that was kept very quiet. I could speak to my parents about it, but that was it. Um, so you can imagine, um, you're growing up as a teenager and you could see things and feel things and you're keeping these things to yourself. And then I went off to college and, um, the big joke was I, I did cheat and tell my roommate that I lived with and we were both cheerleaders and we would go and, um, I would write the score down to the basketball game and stick it in my underwear drawer. And then we'd go cheer at the game and we'd come back and crack open a beer and read the score and just have a laugh. And this was my extent, you know, the extent of my service to humanity at that stage. And this was why the accident was necessary, because I have all of these kind of extrasensory things going on. but no inclination to utilize them to help anybody else i just was it was like always being on your phone you know we give out to teenagers now who are on their phones all the time but for me it was like being tapped into some kind of web of knowledge but nothing i was really doing anything with
1: right it was a parlor trick
2: it was it was a parlor trick and so after the accident um and they said that i would be enhanced when i came back what actually started happening first was i would end up I would be somewhere, and something would unfold that I was able to positively manipulate. Um, I could make something happen for somebody. I could direct them in the right direction, and this was happening constantly.
1: Can you give me um, an example of that?
2: Um, it would be like somebody who was um, who had a project that they needed, and I happened to know everybody—not from start to finish, everyone who would make that project manifest for them in a, in a single moment. Um, It would be someone who had lost someone and who was so devastated that they might be ready to take their own life. And I would just suddenly be there and we'd have a conversation and then that wouldn't happen. Um, And so I was coming out of a grocery store one time and this old guy walked past me and he winked at me and he goes, Oh, you've been there. And I stopped dead in my tracks and I said, excuse me? And he goes, double heart chakra. And I said, what? And he said, you have a double heart chakra. And so I know you've been out of your body and back in. And I'm not talking about like a, a, an astral travel scenario. This is when you actually do the disconnect. You go into that um that grand central station scenario and then come back in and so it was then that i learned from him um that's what that means because i could always see energy and light around people but I, I had no way of interpreting it i didn't you know i knew some some things felt good and some things felt ominous and some things felt this way but i had no vocabulary for it and so now i'm like okay so when you see that double light superimposed on somebody's chest there that means they've actually been out of the body and back in gotcha um, and then I get you know, when I got into school, it began to to unfold physically where I could touch somebody and it was like being able to download their hard drive. So somebody has an injury or an emotional situation and I could touch them and suddenly I knew how to get from A to Z. Um, I could, I could see in one split second, what was causing the blockage, whether it was something from when they were a a child or earlier on in their lives or in some other existence. Um, and I could see that that's what was causing whatever they were having a challenge with to unfold. And so it was interesting. That's why it was my grandfather who, who sent me to chiropractic school, which I think is very funny because he was a medical doctor and I'm like, really chiropractic school. Come on. And what he had wanted me to understand was a vitalistic approach to the human body. And he did not want me to go the allopathic route where I was learning how to prescribe medications or take the body apart and piece it back together again or remove things. He wanted me to understand how the mind, the body, and the spirit worked together in order to create a maximum experience for the soul who was here at this particular time.
1: So is... is. Chiropractic, is that, is that complementing your other modes of, of healing with sound and vibration?
2: It does. Yeah. And, you know, now all these years later and, and, um, you know, I'm in my fifties and my, my shoulders are kind of hanging out of the sockets at this stage. Um, so I don't do, um, I don't like physically practice the way that I did. Um, but that core philosophy was absolutely a, a wonderful foundation for me to understand. It also allowed me to get my hands on lots of people because, you know, you've suddenly got these abilities where you're touching people and you now you know what ails them and you know how to show them how to fix that. Um, and chiropractic afforded me the opportunity to get my hands on lots and lots and lots of people in lots of different scenarios. Um, and it was a wonderful foundation for that. Um, you know, but it was... It was it was a surprise to be pushed in that direction until I got there and went, oh, I see, you know, because everything about it is 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 rather than if something is uncomfortable, if the body isn't performing in a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. It means that you need to pay attention, and that's very very different than trying to medicate it or remove it. Or um, it's a very, it's just a different approach to life, um, and one that I'm extremely grateful for because. Things just kept unfolding as far as, um, you know, not only could I know something before it's happening now, I had this sudden ability if somebody had, let's say, cancer, I could touch them and that cancer could go. And in the early days, that was absolutely fabulous for my ego. And then I grew up and then I matured. And then I understood that that is not what a healer does. A healer is a window washer. A healer is someone who wipes clean the muck and the grime so someone can see for themselves how to heal. We're there to facilitate, not to do it for them. And so I very luckily learned that very early on because what was happening is, you know, I had this incredible ability to touch someone and make what was causing them discomfort go away all of a sudden. And then what would happen? Six months later, they would come back because they had something else, because they had never gotten down to the root cause of why it was present in their life because I didn't take them there. And so I grew and matured as a healer and, and, and began to understand that you know, healing is, is, is a, an inside job and it's something that I can be there to help facilitate and present people with the tools in order to do that for themselves. And then that is a true healing when they have that understanding, because healing doesn't always mean that it ends up the way that we want it to, you know, having a good death, having a death where you're leaving with everything that you came here to get is also being healed. And it doesn't mean that everything that's uncomfortable goes away. It means that you got what you came here for.
1: Do you do this remotely as well? Or do you have to have hands on?
2: No, yeah, that that went away years ago. Um, it's just, you know, I'm, a, I'm constantly learning. I'm still learning and I'm still a work in progress and everything changes. And so it's so interesting, you know, as we move now, um, as, as we were pushed um, in 2020 to to this more online community, um, I had been prepared for this and had been working online for quite some time. Um, And it's just as easy to do because everything is frequency in the same way that I'm speaking to you over a Skype signal where I'm looking at your picture on my laptop. Yet you and I are talking in present time. It's just a signal. It's just a frequency. And so when you're connecting in with somebody else, that's, you know, it's it's just that simple and just that miraculous all at the same time. So it's it's, you know, you learn as you go along and you get it gets easier and easier. So, yeah, I've been doing it remotely for years now.
1: How do people get a, a hold of you for a, a healing session, Mary?
2: Um, on my website, MaryHelenHensley.com.
1: and that's H E N S L E Y, Mary Helen Hensley, H E N S L E Y dot com, and uh, your books, "Understanding Is the New Healing," "Bringing Death to Life," and the "Promised Trilogy." How do we get a hold of those?
2: Everything is on my website. "Understanding Is the New Healing." audio book will be out in a couple of weeks, um, and this is pretty amazing because it's the very first book available in Audible history where, as I'm telling the stories, the frequencies and brainwave states that correlate with the healing associated with the subject matter within the stories is playing in the background. So it is now taking it from an, an audio experience to a completely immersive experience for the listener.
1: Terrific. Mary, it was great meeting you, and thank you for, uh, for hanging out.
2: Richard, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much.
1: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details on an upcoming episode. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy and again, absolutely free. Just imagine you're watching your favorite movie at the local drive-in theater when suddenly you see a strange flying object swoop down from above and hover right over the movie screen. Veteran UFO researcher Preston Dennett shares some of the 100 true cases of close encounters at drive-in theaters. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
0: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.